Uh, this past week, as I was going over, I thought this week we would begin a verse-by-verse exposition, and I could have, and we still would have seen these first nine verses. But something stood out to me this week. So what I want to do is, I think most of you are aware that 1 Corinthians is largely addressing the flaws, the sin, the shortcomings in the Corinthian um, church. There's a great deal of, unfortunately, there's a great deal of negative example teaching in the Corinthians. The Corinthians do a lot of things poorly, selfishly, really. What they're really doing, here's their failure. Their failure is they're selfish. Their failure is each one of them wants to be whatever it is that they want to be. And so what that means is, and this is what happens when you do that. What happens when you want to be selfish is if you are a new creature, and they are, if you're a new creature, then you're convicted that there should be unity and fellowship. But if, if you want what you want, what you do is you say, well, we have unity. I have unity with Paul and everybody who agrees that Paul is mostly right. And then there are people who say, yes, yes, and we have unity too. Uh, we have unity with Apollos and all of those that think Apollos is the best teacher at our church. And then we have Cephas. And some even claim, well, we don't have none of those. We have Jesus himself but still not fellowship with the other groups. And so the question that he asks immediately is in verse 13, look at it. Is Christ divided? And here's the answer. Well, if you had to measure whether Christ was divided by local churches, the answer would be, it appears so. But Christ is not divided. Yes? No? Jesus himself is not divided. And those that are walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh... They have no, no, no desire for division. They have no desire to prove themselves to be better than another or exceptional in a certain way that others are not exceptional. They just want to walk with the Lord Jesus. And they want others to just walk with the Lord Jesus. And so what you come to realize is, I made reference to this yesterday at uh, Easton's graduation, what you find is this. I told Easton, uh, make friends that love Jesus, period. No matter what else they do. Doesn't matter what other, what, you know, whatever, whatever the rest of the people that you're around, whatever the rest of their life is like, whether they be people who spend a lot of time in sports or sporting or sewing or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever activities people are involved in, that's not the significant thing. In other words, don't choose your friend, friends based upon a specific a thing that you enjoy doing that they enjoy doing. Make friends that love Jesus. And again, I, I made a point of this. Don't make friends that go to church. Make friends that love Jesus. There's a big difference between people that go to church and people that love Jesus. You wish that they weren't true. I remember as a baby Christian being so excited about being forgiveness and being part of this huge group of people throughout the world that knew the Lord Jesus Christ and were going to walk with him. And then I began to realize as I was talking with people that the primary emphasis of so many of the people that I were talking to was what their church believed about this and what their church believed about that. And I began to think, well, what about Jesus? What about, just, what about Jesus himself? And here's what I came to realize is the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get along because they were religious groups. Now, here's the thing. It's very clear, and we're going to see this together. It's what we're going to see. We're only going to see a little bit together tonight. It's very clear that the Corinthians are not the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians. They're not the Pharisees because they actually are new creatures. But it is still possible, and all of you have seen this, you might have even participated in your life, it is still possible to be a new creature and yet be about your little group. And that's just not Christianity. 
But how do you cure that? And the answer is, you let Jesus be your Lord. You, individually, let Jesus be your Lord. And I let him be mine. Because he has no division. Do you understand? He has no, um, whatever, whatever, you know, Polly's sitting up front here. Whatever God is calling Polly to, and whatever God is calling me to, they're not against each other or opposed to each other or separate from each other, and yet they're not the same thing either. But if she'll just say yes to him and I'll say yes to him, then we'll have tremendous fellowship with each other. And whatever we're doing, whatever God is working in her heart and life, whatever he's working in my heart and life, she'll rejoice in him, I'll rejoice in him. And where our paths cross and run into each other, in other words, wherever we're laboring together in our own local church, we'll get along wonderfully well. Because neither one of us will measure our relationship with the other one based upon our opinion or our desires or, God forbid, our desire for glory in our own lives. It'll be in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the answer for deliverance in local churches from any division is that every one of us would just perfectly agree we believe the word of God to be true and we simply want the Lord Jesus to be glorified, period. And everything else will take care of itself. And here's what I find. When you run into people who have that attitude, that is true. They don't have to go to your church, by the way. You, What you'll find is you can have wonderful, sweet fellowship with them. Now, what I want to do is this. I, I already commented that the Corinthians, both First and Second Corinthians, in it, there's a great deal of correcting things that are not right. The apostle spending a great deal of time correcting things that are not right. But what I want to do is just take a couple of minutes and I want to read the first nine verses together. Now, I almost, I start, I almost started this way. I almost said, I'm going to read the first nine verses and I'm going to ask you from the first nine verses to tell me what First Corinthians is about. But now, even though I've told you, let's start over again, and let's just read the first nine verses. But let's read it, not with thinking about the fact that the Corinthians have so many flaws. Let's just read it and see what God, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul's heart attitude is toward them. Let's look at that together. So let's go back and look at it. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. This is what stood out to me this week, like, like, like a flag waving in the sky. It was so wonderful as I was seeing this. Notice what he says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So he is identifying who he is, the calling upon God in his life, and that he's doing this through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, he's also making it clear that he's not the one penning this or writing this. Sosthenes is the one writing this. Under the church of God, and by the way, let me stop for just a moment. What you'll recognize is this. Sosthenes is not just a secretary. It's not just a person writing these things down. They actually have real fellowship. I don't know why, and it's, this is true in many of the epistles, uh, the Apostle Paul very seldom wrote with his own hand. Some believe it is because that when uh, that his thorn in the flesh was his, the loss of his eyesight. I happen to believe that the thorn in his flesh was the loss of most of his eyesight. So he, at one point he talks about what a large letter I have written. It doesn't mean he wrote a long letter. It means he wrote, like, anybody ever get a note from John Crabb? Anybody ever get a, If you ever got a note from John Crabb, John Crabb writes a note of about one word per page. Hi, how are you? That kind of a thing. And the reason for that is because he's mostly blind. And, so, and I'm getting there. I mean, I'm just getting there. I'm, I'm losing my sight, and, and I recognize that it takes the font size to be much, much larger for me to be able to see it. But I say this because it's important that we recognize right from the beginning of this, Paul is not unilaterally speaking in the power of an apostle to the church at Corinth. 
He has fellowship, much, much fellowship. He is God, the Holy Spirit, is using this man of God as an apostle to write not only a letter to the Corinthians, but the word of God that we would benefit from later. That is what's going on. And he is making record of that here. But it really is wonderful to me that God is demonstrating from the very beginning that what Paul wants for the Corinthians, he's practicing where he is. Under the church of God, so now you can underline that if you want to. Under the church of God. So who is the epistle written to? And the answer is not a bunch of misbehaving people in Corinth, but to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth. So God, so, so God the Holy Spirit is acknowledging you are new creatures. You are born again. You are saved. But your actions are not what they should be. So let's, but let's just keep seeing this. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who by, who, excuse me, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to stop there. And now I stopped in the middle, and I probably shouldn't have. I stopped in the middle to point out the, the unity and the completeness and the calling, not only of the apostle, but of the audience, the church at Corinth. Remember I said it's under the church of God, which is at Corinth, not unto a bunch of people that are misbehaving in a local church. And, I, and maybe I shouldn't have said that, because if, if I hadn't made that statement, there's nothing. What in the first nine verses, look at it with me again. What in the first nine verses, it's almost more like a class than a sermon. What in the first nine verses indicates to you that there's any thought, anything wrong at Corinth at all? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And here's, and here's, I don't know why, I don't know when this happened in my life. Perhaps it's because when you, when you study and study and study and study and study, you start noticing common things about the opening of the epistles. Most of the epistles uh, do have a greeting at the beginning of them, right? They have a greeting at the beginning of them. But we make the mistake of thinking that the greeting is just like, Dear Joe, comma, Right? Right? When you write a letter, you say, dear somebody, and then you write a comma. How many of you, uh, when you text, when you text somebody, how many of you say, dear so-and-so, comma, and then write your text afterwards? None of us do, right? How many of you, when you write text to people, just get right to the point, right? That's what I love about texts. Texts very seldom have any length to them at all, unless Amanda is texting you. <laughs> In which case, they come with a table of contents. And so, um, anyway, 
Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I get a text from Amanda. I tap it, and it, it's at the bottom, you know, because when you get it, you see the bottom of it first. And then I start scrolling up to get to the top of it. And I start scrolling with one finger going like this, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so there's a great deal in, in the text. But the reason I say that is because when we, when we, when we communicate with each other, we don't feel a need after we're familiar with each other for just pleasantries. And we make a mistake if we think that what we're seeing in the beginning of any part of our Bible is just pleasantry. This is specifically purposeful. Do you understand? There is no, what I'm saying by this is this, this is not dear so-and-so, and then at the end, uh, love Paul. That's not what we're seeing here. Now, there is a certain amount of that in it in the sense that he is being kind and socially correct purposefully when he's writing to them. But all of these words, these first five, these first nine chapters, these first set of words, let's, again, I'm going to read it again because I want you to just notice how much God loves the church at Corinth, how the church of Corinth has everything that any other local church could have, and how the church at Corinth shares in everything that every other local church has. Notice that again as we go through this, and you'll see this standing out as we read it, I think, this time. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you. And what a, and, and what a, when we start preaching through this, you're going to see how there's a mini um, epistle right here in this, who shall confirm you, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing in this that indicates there's anything wrong at, your, at Corinth. There's everything in this that indicates that they have everything everybody else has. Now, why is this significant? And this is why. Now, if you turn in your Bible, so if you're in Corinthians and you turn a couple pages and you go to 1 Corinthians 13, we're not going to study 1 Corinthians 13. I just want you to see it. You already know it. Almost everybody in here probably, when I said 1 Corinthians 13, you think this is the love chapter, right? But I, what I want you to see is the end of verse 31 of, first, of chapter 12. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Now, verse 31b, if you will, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way, Verse 31b is demonstrating the desire that God has given the Apostle Paul for the Corinthian church to have the excellent way. And the excellent way is love. This is what he wants for them. But if you go back to chapter 1, the first nine verses, 
You can see that in these first nine verses. You can see that what his desire for them is this. God has given you everything he's given any other church. In fact, it appears that you are at least equal, if not superior, than other churches in what God has gifted you. In other words, what God has done for you, what God has done in you, is at least equal to other local churches, and it, and it appears that they even have more than many. In other words, they have an excessive amount of the giftedness of God in their local church, for which we see in him, in verse 4, he's thankful. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything. Notice it's the grace that gives them everything. They are enriched in utterance and knowledge. They are gifted. What gifted them? Grace gifted them. Listen, listen. Not ability gifted them. Not size gifted them. What's missing, we'll find later, is the thankfulness and the rejoicing and the acknowledgement that anything and everything they have, God has given them. Not only individually, but collectively. Um, last year sometime, we had a gospel sing, one of our gospel sings. So it was a fifth Sunday. And it was the fifth Sunday that, so Tabernacle had some kind of a special event, like a homecoming kind of a thing, acknowledging uh, the history of Tabernacle Baptist Church, a local church here in, the, in Virginia Beach. And so uh, Rod Bell Sr. was the pastor of that church for many, many years. And Rod Bell Jr. was visiting. He was invited to be part of the, uh, of, of the, of the activities for the morning service, which went on for an extended period of time. But he came to Tidewater for the evening service. And so he came to Tidewater for the evening service, and we had a gospel sing. And after we had the gospel sing, and which he really was just, he just enjoyed, he enjoyed it like I enjoy it. Pastors really enjoy worshiping together. We really, truly love to just hear, and again, most of us can't sing, so we love to hear you sing. It just was such an encouragement. But he came up afterwards, and he said, you should be ashamed that in just a few hundred people, you have so much giftedness in your church. And even tonight, as the, as, as the young men, and we'll include Clayton as a young man. As the young men, even though he doesn't have all the hair that a real young man would have, but uh, that the young men as they were singing, and, 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 and this morning as Emma was singing, and I was just realizing we continue, God continues to roll over, if you will, in our church family because we're in a military area, and yet he continues to bring people to our church that can, that can sing and be involved in music, and we really are blessed to have this. But here, what gives that to us? And the answer is grace. Grace, not merit. The, first, the Corinthians didn't merit the giftedness that they had. They were given the giftedness that they had. But listen, and this is a trouble for all of us. People that are intelligent feel as if they deserve something because they're intelligent. If you're intelligent, you were, you were gifted to be intelligent. You understand that. You know, does anybody, you know, understand standardized testing? But I don't mean I shouldn't say it that way. Everybody understands what standardized testing is, right? I think about it. Remember when you first started taking standardized tests and they started dividing the children up based upon the results of those standardized tests? I remember thinking um, that some of my friends were not included in the same kind of classes that they put me in because they didn't do as well on the standardized tests. But when I played ball with them or just walked around in town with them, they didn't seem different to me. 
They didn't seem less able to me than I was. And yet what we recognize is that, and here's why I'm saying this, because we look at people, either their appearance or their articulation or their ability in math, and we set people in certain categories as if they earned something. They didn't earn anything. I know I talk about Michael Jordan when I bring this up all the time. Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan because he was gifted to be Michael Jordan. Now, I'm not saying he didn't practice. I'm not saying he didn't put any work to it. But I promise you could have practiced all your life and not been Michael Jordan. Do you understand? So if, if you are capable, if I am capable, if we have any ability at all, then let's thank God for it. What's really remarkable is the apostle thanks God for their ability. He's glad for them that they're able. Isn't that wonderful? That's a true Christ-like attitude. I'm glad you can sing, and I am glad you can sing. I'm glad. Now, I get great joy when those that are gifted choose to, to give the vessel to God so that he can use the giftedness that he gave you for his glory instead of for your glory. Amen? Everybody understand what we're saying here? But see how simple this is. I thank God that you have all of this. And notice it's, it says grace in verse 3. It says grace in verse 4, and that they have all of this, and I'm so glad that you have all of this, but please recognize that it's wonderful that God gave you these things, but he gave you these things. You know, let's, you know we could do it this way. I have no money, so please don't think I'm going to give away money, okay? Um, but if I call people up here and I started handing out $100 bills, wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be a very popular church if I did that every Sunday. So I started handing out $100 bills. And so you, I came up here, and you, and you were, and I said, okay, you know, let's get 10 people to come up here. And I started handing out $100 bills. And then when we get done with the $100 bills, you turned around and you said, I have three of them. And somebody else says, I have five of them. And then they said, I must be better than you because I have five of them. They're no better. I just gave them five. Do you understand? They have five. You have three. But they had zero when they walked up. You had zero when you walked up. So whatever you have when you walk away, you were what? Given. It was gifted to you. This is what God wants us to lay hold of. There's nothing in these first nine verses that leads you to believe that the Corinthian church is anything but truly, wonderfully, not only beloved of God, but beloved of those that serve God. And this is what God wants us to Whatever it is in our lives, whatever the need in somebody else's life is, make sure that you understand the grace of God toward them first. Even if it is necessary that somebody has to receive a correction or a rebuke, and, and be very careful about you thinking you're the one that's supposed to do that. But, you know, I remember not that long ago, somebody uh, texted or posted maybe even on Facebook, please pray for me, I have to meet with someone, I'm not sure you know, how, you know, what to do, that kind of a thing. And then a little while later, they posted and said, I thank God that it was already done, it was already addressed. And anybody that's ever had to have what we would call a difficult meeting, thanks God that before we ever had to have that meeting, that God already addressed it, amen? I mean, it's just wonderful to not have to have that difficult meeting. But if you have to have that difficult meeting, realize this, the person that you're talking to needs to understand that you're aware that they and you are equal. That you're equal. And that you're thankful for God's love to them, God's grace and goodness in their life. Even if everything isn't the way it should be in their life. That's what we see here in the, in the Corinthian church. It blessed my heart so much this week to realize that the Apostle Paul is not offensive. And what I mean by that is on the offense toward the Corinthian church. Now, you're going to see this more and more and more as you go through it, but he has such a desire for, he has such a 
true joy in what they have that he wants them to enter into the giftedness that they've been given. In other words, he just wants them to live how they could live if they could be thankful for the giftedness that they have. And this is what God wants to do in our lives, in all of our lives. So uh, again, this is really, I don't know what you say, it's not really even really a sermon in the sense that we're not looking at specific things in the passage going through verse by verse. I simply wanted you to see the spirit with which God wants us to be able to enter into all things concerning his lordship. When we are addressing one another, when we're ministering to one another, when we're around one another, let us be grateful and thankful for the goodness of God in the life of the person that we're talking to. Let us recognize that we are, we are, it says, no, I'm going to look at it again. It says um, in verse two, toward the end of it, it's a long verse. It says about halfway through, it says, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. If you're a new creature and I'm a new creature, there's only one Lord. There's only one Lord. Now, when you're talking to people who are not born again yet, you have to, again, recognize this. We are all Adam together. We are all the same. Really, truly, truly. We all have one earthly parent. And it goes back to Adam and Eve. Nothing divides us. We divide ourselves. There's no reason for you to feel like you have to divide yourself from anybody else. There's no reason when you talk to anybody anywhere ever to feel as if you're either less than they are or more than they are. No, you are what they are. You are dirt that God made alive. That's what you are. You are the descendant of dirt. Literally, I think like a Plato figure right? That God breathed life into, and that's who we are together. And God loves and cares about us all together. Father, thank you for giving us these minutes together tonight. Thank you for your word and your love to us. Lord, I, uh, I ask you that we would, as we go through this epistle, Lord, as we make preparation on Sunday night to start going through Corinthians, basically one chapter at a time, one, ch- one sermon, one chapter, Lord, and we would see these things together, that we would lay hold of the the goodness that you have in mind for all of us. Lord, that all of us would not look at what others, how others fall short in these things, and how so-and-so needed to hear that, and -and so-and-so needed to hear that, but that each and every one of us would say, here am I, Lord, here am I. Do what you want to do in my heart and life. Cause me to enter into these things. Show me that you are Lord in all ways. And Lord, cause me, as I interact with others, to recognize your goodness in their lives. We thank you. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.